because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. This Martin Luther King weekend, I'll introduce what we are going to be doing this weekend and next weekend as we did last year, and we will do, Lord willing, next year as well. Um, let me read to you Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and I've titled this sermon, The Birth of Racism. The Birth of Racism, and you'll see how it ties in the beginning and the end of the message, but I want you to keep that in mind as we read Genesis 11, 1 through 9. It's on page 7 in the handout Bible. If you don't have one, there's one under your chair, and it's the first book in your Bible. Here then, the Word of God from Genesis chapter 11. At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary as people migrated from the east. They found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make, let us make oven fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt and mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Then Yahweh came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. Yahweh said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord Yahweh scattered them over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you that we can meditate on your word now. And so we pray as Jesus has taught us to pray, may your name be honored as holy. May your kingdom come and may your will, your commands, your desires, your truth, may your will be done here in Bellflower here in Los Angeles County, here on earth as it is in heaven. Your will done with gladness and joy and enthusiasm. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly and that as his word abides in us and as we abide in him, we pray that we would bear much fruit because apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing except waste our time and think we're doing something. So help us now by your spirit's power to show us your glory and to grow us in our love for you, our love for our neighbors, and our love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you noticed a theme in our songs this morning, but in hymn 202, you know, God says, now worship is more than singing, but singing is to be worshipful. Jesus said, those who worship God, the Father, must worship Him in what? Spirit and truth. A key to singing with passion and joy, and it was, it's heartbreaking for me in a Sunday like this where I can't sing loud because my voice is gone. Not that I sing well, but I sing loud. 
Um, and it's because I love the Lord and I love, hear, you know, I love praising God and hearing you praise God. It's frustrating when your voice is, is gone. But one of the keys to singing with joy and gladness or even with brokenness and pain is to think about every word you're singing as you sing it. That's how you worship God in truth. Especially the more familiar you become with a hymn, the, the more you have to work at thinking about the words. Because I could sing these hymns without looking at a hymnal and not give a thought to what I'm singing. But I want you to notice here in the hymn, in hymn 202, it said this, Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. You're the chosen seed of Israel's race. Not that you're ethnically Jewish, but in Christ we have been grafted into one body in Christ. The second, the third verse of, of him 202 says this, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, every tribe and kindred, every family on earth, um, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Whatever ethnicity you're a part of, whatever tribe, whatever language, let us all be one in crowning and ascribing majesty to God. And then when we turn to hymn 350, we sang the church is one foundation. And the second verse said this, elect from every nation, from every ethnic people group, elect from every ethnic people group, chosen ones, yet one over all the earth, her charter of salvation. One, so we're, we're from every tribe, but look, notice our unity with all the diversity of every ethnic people group. One Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, the church, one holy name the church blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. The church is from every ethnic people group, and yet they are one in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, is the Christian and race or ethnicity. It's Martin Luther King weekend, and so I want to make sure we're addressing it at least once every year. We can address it more than once, but not less than once a year. Next week, we will address sanctity of human life and pro-life and abortion causes. And, and the reason for that is neither of these are political. I don't aim to be political in any way here, though for sure some people might take it as political this or political that. I want to be biblical. And so I want you to see this in the text. And if it's not in the text, then feel free to discard Whatever you hear from this pulpit that is not coming from the Bible. I, I, I don't have a primary interest in political parties or agendas. I just want to teach the Word of God so that we apply the Word of God as Christians and as His people. And this is part of our statement of faith. In our statement of faith, the Baptist faith and message, it says this. I hope you've read our statement of faith. You should read it at least once a year, but here's what it says. The Christian and social order. All Christians, is what we believe as a church, are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are re rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. So permanent change is only happening when people are converted and saved. Yet it says, in the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and all forms of pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, 
the helpless and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from, from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these Christian these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and His truth. That's a really well-written statement. We are working to... Do good in our neighborhood, yet we don't want to lose the gospel. Evangelism is our main mission. And yet, we want to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So we can't just evangelize, though that is the main thing. And, and the ultimate expression of love is evangelism. And yet, there are other things that we want to do that are good for society. In line with that. And so, here it says, in the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism. Jarvis Williams, a New Testament professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kentucky, wrote this. Understanding the nature of the past and present social constructs will help us to understand what really does and does not divide us. We must accurately diagnose the problem. The Christian gospel tells us that racism fundamentally exists because of sin. Racism is an evil ideology of hate, which shows itself most clearly through violent and prejudicial actions. But racism exists even without violent and prejudicial actions because of sin. And then he asks this thought-provoking question. Could the very construct of race be one more manifestation of the sin of racism? Racism begetting the very idea of race. So here he says, racism actually gets strength and maybe even um, birth from the idea of race. So what do we mean by race? Dictionary.com says, it gives three definitions of race. Okay, listen to these three definitions of race. Definition number one, an arbitrary classification of modern humans, sometimes, especially formerly, based on any combination of various physical characteristics as skin color, facial form, or eye shape, and now frequently used as, on such genetic markers as blood groups. So a race is a group of humans um, by physical characteristics. Secondly, second definition, race is a socially constructed category of identification based on physical characteristics, ancestry, historical affiliation, or shared culture. So one is maybe your skin color and, and your eye shape. The next one is more of your culture, language. That's what your race is. The third definition is, the it's... Race is the human race or family, humankind. So someone might say, nuclear weapons pose a threat to the race. Speaking of all humans. Now, notice that those three definitions are not all the same. And not only are they not all the same, they actually oppose each other. Well, at least that last one, especially. And I'll, I'll pick, up, pick that up in a second. Here's my point. Well, let's define. So that's what race is. We'll get into that in a second. But what is racism? What is racism? Racism is an explicit or implicit belief or practice that distinguishes people and values different people based on different, it values people and, and decides the quality of people based on their ethnicity. Okay, that, that's what I would say racism is. And racism is not only for non-Christians. It's fueled by human pride. And who struggles with pride? 
Who doesn't struggle with pride, right? And self selfishness. Who doesn't struggle with selfishness and self-centeredness? So this fuels racism and racial favoritism. It might be better to call it racial favoritism or ethnic favoritism rather than racism. Because when we think of racism, we think of extreme things. Killing people, genocide. But let's dial it back a little bit. Let's just think about, do we have favorites in terms of the way we think and in terms of the way we live that actually not only play favorites, but it actually reflects our values or how much we value other people of other ethnicities. So, Trillia Newbell of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention writes this, what is racial bias? What is racial bias? Now, I don't agree with everything she says here, but it gets us thinking. So let me read the quote. Racial bias comes as a matter of instinct. What's your reaction when you see someone who appears to be Middle Eastern of Middle Eastern descent boarding your plane? If you're walking in an urban area and a group of large black men approach, what do you think? Do you feel slightly unsettled when someone of your ethnicity marries someone outside your ethnicity? Do you do all your friends look like you? Would you prefer for your restaurant server, pastor, best friend, child's dolls, child's spouse, electrician showing up at your door or the lead character in a movie to have your skin color? These biases can be instinctive and they can be a product of our of racial favoritism. Now, she says they can be. They not necessarily are, but they can be. Again, and that's why I said there might be a little bit of disagreement on, on things here and there, but let's, let's think about this. We are easily influenced by culture, what we've read, seen, or heard, but not experienced, and the attitudes and belief systems of generations past. In order to see re- reconciliation and progress in our nation, communities, and churches, we must recognize that racial favoritism is indeed a possibility for each and every one of us. We must then fight our assumptions of others and learn to ask good questions. Learn to ask good questions. One of my applications, I'll say it now, while it's fresh on my mind, is this. Ask another member of this church, what is it like to, what is, it li- what is life like from your perspective in this church? We're not the same ethnicity. What is life like from your perspective in this church? Now, they might say it's the same as you. Well, great. But if not, you want to learn by asking thoughtful questions from each other. Now, here's, the, here's why this is important. Obviously, it's a sin if we're playing racial favorites, ethnic favorites. But we need, to, we, need to, we need to define race. Remember, I gave you three definitions. One was by your skin color, by physical characteristics. Your, your skin color, your eye shape. Second way of defining race was culturally, your language, your history, what you value. The third way was the human race. And what I want to tell you is when you define race by the other two, your skin color and your your physical attributes, or you define race by culture, then you're actually playing into racism. Because then you could say that one race is superior to another race, right? But if we are all one human race, then there is no superiority because we're all one human race race of different ethnic cultures and languages and of different skin colors and physical attributes, but one human race. The concept of race being used as ethnicity 
actually fuels racism. And it comes in part from Darwinian theories of evolution, where in Darwinianism and evolution, it's the survival of the fittest. And so if our race is, if our, our race is more fit than your race, may the fittest win and survive. And now you have a license to oppress others because they are not as fit as us. And you have an ideology, a philosophy now that justifies, you know, um, systematized or institutionalized racism. And so we want to be aware of that. Even here in America, obviously we have a history here with slavery. Um, the black church began from a black Christian being kicked out of a, a white church and not being allowed to worship there in the 1700s. Now this is way back, but that's what started the black church movement even. Civil rights is you know, just a, a generation or two ago. And so these things are important to think about. And we as the church need to be, we have Christ, don't we? We have, the, we have the grace of God. We have the gospel. And therefore, it needs to be fleshing itself out, most of all in our church, but even in our neighborhoods and in the way we relate to our neighbors. And we have resources that the world doesn't have. So if I can quote the great urban philosopher Tupac Shakur, he said in his song called Changes, I see no changes, all I see is racist faces, I almost want to wrap this. Misplaced hate makes disgrace. So he talks about misplaced hate makes disgrace to races. Uh, we're, we're under. I wonder what it takes to make this one better place. Let's erase the wasted. Take the evil out of the people that aren't acting right. Or they'll, and they'll be acting right. So here's a solution. Take the evil out of people. What does it take to make this place a better place? Let's take the evil out. It's time to be real and heal each other. And then he says in that same song, we got to make a change. It's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat. Let's change the way we live. And let's change the way we treat each other. You see, the old way wasn't working. So it's on us to do what we got to do to survive. And then his song is called, That's the Way It Is. So he wants change. But then he says, this is the way it is. And then he says, we got to do what we do to survive. Do you hear a little bit of Darwin in there? So it's like he has a, a solution, but then he contradicts the solution saying, well, this is the way it is. I'm going to sell drugs because I got to make I got to make ends meet. So that's just the way it is. So he wants change, but he feels stuck and he doesn't have the resources to change. That's true of everyone who doesn't have Christ. But in Christ, we have not only we not only say we want to change. We say, by God's grace, we can change and there can be change, especially in the church. And we as a church can make a difference in this world. Okay, so we're not as hopeless or as pessimistic or stuck in wishful thinking like Tupac is. So, so what's the story here? I read to you. Let's go to the Bible now. Long introduction. Now let's go to the Bible and then we'll apply it and then we'll be done. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. I already read it. Let me just tell you the story. So you don't need to look at your Bible yet. Look up here and I'm going to draw two points out and we'll apply it and we're done. Here's the story. The story of Genesis 11 is this. God overflowed with joy. You know why God created the world? He was happy. He was so happy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so much joy in each other that they overflowed in creating a universe. God didn't create the universe because he was lonely. He created the universe because he was so full that he couldn't contain himself, so to speak. 
And so he creates the universe. And then he makes man and woman in his own image so that they could reflect his glory and share in his glory and enjoy him. That's why God made the world. So that humans all around the earth would display his glory and, and enjoy his joy. So he commanded them with the sweetest command. What's the first command to humans in the Bible? Love one another. That's a good guess. What's the first command in the story? You shall not what? Eat of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what some might guess. That's not the first command though. The first command is be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Let me, let me translate that in today. This is the sweetest command, the first command of God. Get married, make babies, travel the world, set up flourishing societies, and enjoy cultivating things in creation. Make beautiful art and culture and food so that you reflect my creativity. That's the first command of the Bible. Is that a good command or a bad command? That's a great command, right? When we think of God's commands, we think, oh, God is, you know, he wants to kill our fun. The main command of the Bible is to enjoy God in this world. That's the command of the Bible. And yet here's the problem, and this story reflects it. Man sinned. We didn't want God's ways. We wanted our ways. So Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Humans kept sinning against God, so God drowned the whole world except eight people in the flood. And now here, in Genesis 11, man wants to stay together. Let's all stay together. Let's all build a city. Let's make a great name for ourselves. And so they want to... And let's not scatter around the whole earth. Let's stick together here in this valley. And so they would continue in their organized rebellion against God's plan to enjoy Him and display Him around the whole earth. Let's not scatter. Let's stick together. Let's stay together. And God says in verse 6, there's a tragic result that would happen if God let it continue. If they stay together, God says, if they stay in one place, they'll hoard They won't enjoy the glory that God has for them. They won't share in God's joy. They'll live self-centered lives. They'll live self-destructive lives of rebellion towards one another. And not only that, nothing will be impossible in terms of the sin that they can coordinate to do. Organized groups will use their power for organized oppression. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely in a sinful world. You know, the founding fathers of our nation here in America were onto something with checks and balances in the USA. Because if they didn't check each other, power would be corruptly used, right? And that's a similar thing here. If you have one ethnicity in one place, all working together, you will breed terrible oppression on humanity. And so what does God do? Here's humans, and what are they building? A big what? Tower, up to the what? Up to the heavens, right? So they're building a big tower up to the sky. What does God do? God comes down. You know, when you, you know who you come down to? You come down to those who are smaller than you. You know, they want to build a big, great name for themselves. And God has to stoop down to even see their little dinky tower, right? What's going on down there? Let's see a little dot there. Let me, let me go down and check what's going on over here. So God comes down. He sees the tower. And then he, start, he speaks to himself. Let us come down. And then he says, if we, if we let this happen, they're going to they're gonna keep oppressing each other and they'll rebel against us and our, and our plan won't stand. So God has a plan. 
let's confuse their languages so that they don't understand each other and then they have to scatter. And so what does God do? He goes down, he confuses their language and they scatter. And what's the, what's the result? As God scattered them into different ethnic people groups, he saved them from organizing into oppressing each other. And he saved them He saved them from rebelling against God organized forever. And so now you have other ethnic people groups who check and balance each other so that there's not one group or nation that oppresses all of humanity. You know, the end times, if you read Revelation, there's going to be this one world government or things like that. Why is that a bad thing? Because of sin. And why is ethnic people groups in different nations a good thing? Because it doesn't let one nation dominate the world. That's part of God's checks and balance. So here's the main idea of this passage. And then I'll pull out two points. God stops our idolatry and our kingdom building in judgment or salvation. That's the main point. Here they are building up their idolatry, right? They want to build a name for themselves. They don't want to scatter. They want to build their own kingdom, their own tower. And so God stops them. He stops their idolatry. He stops their kingdom building in judgment and or salvation. So let's look at these two um, points. Point number one, and they're both from verse four. So go back to your Bible, look at verse four. My first point is this, don't idolize. Don't idolize. Point number two is don't stay where you are. So point number one, don't idolize. Point number two, don't stay where you are. Let's look at number one first. Don't idolize. Verse four, what was their problem? They said, come let us what? Build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens or the sky and let us make a... Say it again, let us make a... Name for who? For ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered. So here they want to build a name for themselves, their group, their kingdom, their glory. And that's the first thing God is telling us today here at First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower. Do not commit idolatry. Do not seek to build your own kingdom for yourself or your own group, for your own name. Don't seek a name for yourself. Whose image were they made in? God's image, right? Genesis 1, 26. Look at Genesis 1, 26. I'll turn there. You can just listen to me quote it if you want. Genesis 1, 26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we are made in God's image. We are displaying whose glory? God's glory. Let your name be honored as hollow. Hallowed be... Thy name, not our name, thy name. That was the design for humans. But yet they wanted to build a name for themselves. That's, that's, that's true of the human race, right? That's a picture of us. That's a picture of everyone. Anakin Skywalker, if you've seen episode three of Star Wars. You know, he's the Jedi who's supposed to bring balance to the force. And stop the dark side. And what does he say in episode 3? As he's turning evil, he says, my new empire. You know, and his mentor says, your new empire? Your new empire? You're building your own kingdom for yourself? That's a reflection of, of all of us. Judas betrayed Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver for himself. You know, if, if this Messiah isn't going to be the king and rule, he's going to die? I'm out of here. I'll just take my money and leave. Thank you very much. Get a name for myself. What about the man today who's focused on making a name for himself in his career? So he might sacrifice his family. That's idolatry. 
Or about the athlete who's so obsessed with winning another championship for his organization that he sacrifices the things of God. Or what about a pastor? Speak to myself here. Put up a mirror. What about a pastor who wants the biggest or most well-known church or ministry or to be known? A name for himself. These are all different forms of self-centered, self-exalting idolatry. And God is telling us, don't build a name for yourself, for your group, for your church, for your family. Stop building a name for yourself. Stop being so selfish. Very simple, very clear. Secondly, though, in verse 4, not only do they want to build a name for themselves, what's their, what's their fear? Otherwise, we will what? We'll be what? Scattered over the face of the whole earth. Is it a good thing to be scattered over the face of the whole earth? Was that part of God's plan? Yes, He wants His image where? Everywhere. He wants His glory to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And yet they didn't want to scatter. So here's the second point. Number one was don't idolize. Number two is don't stay. Don't stay where you are. Don't hoard your own things for yourself. Don't hold on to things that God wants you to release and let go of. They explicitly did not want to scatter. Now, this was the command. Look at Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28 says this. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill what? Fill the earth. If you're going to fill the earth, you've got to travel. You've got to scatter. You've got to move. You can't hoard. Genesis 9.1. After Moses, or not Moses, I'm sorry, Noah. So God kills the whole world in judgment, except Noah and his three sons and their wives. So there's eight of them. And what does God say to Noah in Genesis 9.1? God blessed Noah and said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Same thing. You could say, well, it was only the command before the flood. No, that's the command after the flood. Fill the earth, scatter, and spread my glory everywhere. Don't hoard. Don't stay. You know, the church didn't scatter when they were in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? What Jesus said to, to them in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when you receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, finish it. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The uttermost parts of the earth. And so they got the power. What did they do? Did they scatter? No, they stayed together. So what happened? In God's providence, persecution happened. Saul, right? Um, who was the first martyr? Stephen died. The church scattered. And what did they do when they scattered? They started sharing the gospel. And what, what happened? Churches started popping up everywhere. That's God's design. But even churches can lose that vision and say, I'm not scattering. We're going to stay together. That's not the Great Commission. Stay, therefore, and make disciples of each other forever without talking to anyone else. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's not the Great Commission. But the church can fall into that. The church in Jerusalem fell into that trap. That's not missions. That's anti-missions. You know, there's the parable of the rich man who had a hundredfold of his crops. And so instead of sharing the wealth and, and, and being a blessing to his neighbors, what did he say? I'm going to build bigger barns and hoard. And then what did God say? Tonight you're going to die. What good is all that money that you're saving up and putting in your account for your retirement and so forth, not saying that you can't do that in wisdom, but 
all that hoarding and now you're going to die. What good was that? The point here is don't hoard. Don't stay. Don't build your own kingdom. Scatter is what God is telling us. This is the core of sinfulness. Two prong. The core of sinfulness. Idolatry. Building a name for yourself. Self-centeredness. And the consequential oppression disguised as freedom. What I mean by oppression is when you stick together, you're going to start oppressing each other. Now, here's what I mean by... Now, why do I say that this is the birth of racism? Because this is the birth of different ethnicities, right? This is where other ethnic people groups started. Why did they scatter? Some spoke... Now, this is, I'm using today's language, but it wasn't these languages. Some spoke English. Some spoke Spanish. Some spoke Tagalog. Some spoke Korean. Some spoke Mandarin. And so they spoke different languages. You start talking to people who speak your language, and you get into your own groups, and now you're scattered. So that's the birth of different ethnicities. Now, why is this the birth of racism? You're saying, PJ, this is not the birth of racism. This is the birth of different ethnicities. How is there ethnic prejudice in this passage? I don't see it. Well, I would say, look a little bit closer. What was their main problem? They wanted to build a name for themselves. Now you have different ethnic people groups. What do they want to build a name for? Themselves. And when you have different ethnic people groups building a name for themselves over against other ethnic people groups, you have what? Racism. This is the birth of racism. Because when you have self-centeredness and then you group yourselves in different groupings, Now, all of a sudden, your group has to be supreme over the other group. And now you have racism. Born out of sin, still by God's mercy in the fact that there's not going to be one race and one oppression, one ethnicity. Sorry. See, even I slip into race versus ethnicity. Notice that I'm trying to keep these separated. There's one race, but many ethnicities. And when there was only one ethnicity, you could oppress and have an organized oppression of the whole world. Well, now with different ethnic people groups, there's checks for that. So what happens? This is not a happy ending to the story, right? They want to build a name for themselves. They don't want to scatter. I mean, yeah, they don't want to scatter. God scatters them in different groups. This is hardly a happy ending. Yes, there's checks and balances now, but that's not a happy ending. There's still racism in the world. There's still sin. There's still self-centeredness. So what is God going to do? Now notice this in Genesis 12. Turn your Bible to Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house. This is the very next chapter to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great what? Nation, a great ethnic people group. I will bless you and I'll make your what? Name great. What did they seek in the Tower of Babel to build themselves a what? A name. But they weren't doing it for God's glory. But guess what? Guess what God does for us? He gives us a great name. He gives us his name. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the what of the earth? All the peoples, all the ethnic people groups of the earth will be what? Blessed. So is he saying he's going to make one great nation that's going to oppress other nations? No. He's going to make one great nation, but through this offspring, all the other ethnic people groups will be blessed. This is the way the world was supposed to be. And so the good news is God is not abandoning his plan. So what does he do? How does, God, how does God fix all of this? He sends his son. He wants to scatter image bears across the world. They don't want to do it. And so what does he do? How does God finally kill racism? He sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. 
Jesus lives a life of love, not oppression. He lives a life of living for the Father's glory, not his own. He lives to serve other people and not lord it over other people. And so he lives displaying the glory of God. And though he lived this life, he was condemned to death by Rome, by the Jews, on false charges of blasphemy and insurrection. But you know who else condemned him on that cross? God did. God condemned him on accurate charges. The sins of all the world as they would be united to him. Jesus was condemned, though he never sinned. He was condemned for our racism. He was treated as one to be oppressed, though he never oppressed anyone. And so when God killed Jesus on the cross, when God condemned Jesus on the cross, he effectively and initially killed racism. Now, that's I say initially, not completely or not comprehensively. Look at Galatians 3. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 3. I'll give you a moment to turn there because this is the gospel. We don't want to, I don't want you to just hear my words. I want you to see it in the text. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. It says, I'm in the wrong book. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. That's salvation by faith, justification by faith in in Christ. Then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's what? Children, if you have faith in Jesus. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles. That's the ethnic people groups, the nations. This is verse 8. God would justify the nations by what? By faith. And told the gospel, the good news ahead of time to Abraham saying... All the nations will be what? Blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Why is racism dead in the cross of Christ? Because when Christ died, he unites all of us by faith into him. And so go to Galatians 3, verse 28. Look at the end. Go to 28 and 29. You'll see it here very explicit now. In the cross, what happened? He got salvation. And in salvation, what do we have? There is neither what? Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. We are all one in Christ. Racism and having to live for your own ethnic people group as supreme is no longer necessary because Christ made us all one in him. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have ethnicity, just like it doesn't mean there aren't male and female. There are male and female. We honor that. We honor ethnic distinctions. But we don't oppress others with it. We, we express diversity and harmony in it. Because Christ, in dying, makes us one body, and racism is effectively taken away. It's dead. At least in the church, it's supposed to be dead. If you're not a Christian, just let me say this briefly before I continue with the story. If you're not a Christian, this is what God, this is why God brought you here this morning. First of all, thank you for coming. It, you know, it could, it could take a lot of courage to come and visit with a church if you're not a Christian and you're just exploring the things of Christ. We want to be help, helpful to you. But this is what we want you to know. If there's only one thing you hear today, hear this. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. He died for our sins because we were sinners and we deserve God's wrath. 
And yet he died in our place, taking our penalty so that if we would repent from our sins and trust in Christ, we would be united to Christ in forgiveness and we would be saved. And in being united to Christ, we'll be united to God's people and we'll be one family. That's why we're saying, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his what? His blood. Joint heirs. We're joint together. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. If you're joined to Jesus, you're joined to Jesus' people. And that's what the church is. And so I would plead with you, if you're not a Christian, to repent from your sins and trust in Jesus this morning. And so racism is effectively killed in the cross. And yet, is it still here today? Yes. So, is it, so now it's not only killed initially, it's also being killed progressively. Where is it killed progressively over and over again? In the church. As we grow in holiness, as we grow in love, as we grow in Christ-likeness, as we grow in unity, as we make Christ known to other ethnic people groups, racism should be being killed in churches all the time progressively. And as we love our neighbors and influence them, we can even help kill racism in the world to some degree. It will always be here because sin will always be here. But it's being killed progressively. In the end, when Christ returns, racism, racism will be killed comprehensively. It will be killed comprehensively. Because all sin will be gone. He will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And we will reign with him all over the whole earth forever and ever. Display his glory everywhere. People from every tongue, nation, and language will worship the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7. Salvation belongs to our God, they'll say. From every tongue, nation, and ethnic people group. That's the end. That's the hope. And so racism was killed initially in the cross, progressively in the church, comprehensively in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do now? How does that? So, okay, let's close with application. What does that mean for us? Great, PJ. Okay, we understand where racism comes from. We understand it's killed initially and progressively and one day comprehensively. So what does God want us to do? Well, he says, don't idolize. Don't build a name for yourself. Build a name for who? God. What do we call that? We call that worship. And then he said they didn't want to scatter. They wanted to stay together. So what should we do? Go and scatter, right? So worship, missions, and discipleship. What do we do to kill racism? We worship God. What do we do to kill racism? We do missions. We share the gospel with every ethnic people group. What do we do to kill, what do we do to kill racism? We disciple each other in this church. Look at this beautiful group of people from every, from different ethnicities, right? We are not one ethnicity here. God has done an amazing work in this church long before, you know, we've been here for, I've been only here for the past 14 months, but even before I got here, God has been doing an amazing thing in this church. Praise the Lord. So worship, what does it mean to worship? Just think about these three. Worship, missions, and discipleship. Worship. This means worshiping the triune name of God. When you're baptized, you're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So whose name do we live for? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We live for His name. The Great Commission is about His name and us being immersed in His name. We don't baptize people in the name of First Southern Baptist Church, right? We don't baptize people in the name of the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't, name, we don't baptize people in the name of, of, of the pastor or the church members. We baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because we live to worship Him. And when we worship Him, we kill racism. We kill it because we're not trying to puff up our own group anymore. 
We're worshiping Him. And therefore, we don't need to press our own subgroups in this world. And our church has done a good job of that. And we, you know, you, I said this last year, you hired me as a pastor here. You didn't have to do that. But the church did. That's an, uh, uh, evidence that it's not just about one ethnicity. There's a genuine love for each other. I love seeing the conversations that happen during church. Work day yesterday was awesome. We had people from different ethnicities serving God together. What a blessing. What a joy. We just need to grow in that more. Let's be open to listening to each other's stories. Let's be open to sympathizing with each other and getting to know each other better. Let's ask good questions of each other as we worship God. So that's worship. Number two, scatter. We scatter for God's glory, not ours. We're not about holding close proximity tightly, but we want to go therefore and make disciples. It doesn't say stay therefore and make disciples. It's go. So let's do missions. Let's scatter. Now, we do missions by giving money, right? Amen. We need to keep doing that. But we, do, we also do missions by scattering ourselves. We need to send missionaries. Some of you need to go to the mission field. I'm talking about the other nations and scatter. Some of you will, will be transferred to another church eventually. If you don't die and you're still walking with Christ and you're not in this church five years from now, Lord willing, you will have scattered to another church to spread whose glory? God's glory. Not your own, not our churches, but God's glory. And that's great. Our temptation is to hoard and stay put. That's not just their temptation, Genesis 11. That's my temptation. I have five kids for now. I'm just kidding. So I'm just kidding. We want to adopt. Okay. Um, we love kids. I have five kids for now. I want all of them to grow up and live near me. I do. I want to see my grandkids all the time. I want to drive near them. I, you know, I want them near. But you know what God was telling me with this text? We're scattering. Not that, and I'm not going to push them out either. I need to be okay with that though. Because it's not about me. It's not about me, PJ, the grandfather or the great-grandfather. It's not about my name or me and my wife's name. It's about whose name? God's name. And so what are kids, according to Psalm 127? They are arrows in the warrior's quiver launched out into the kingdom of darkness to bring the light of the gospel all around the world. So if, they, if my kids become missionaries and go other places, praise God. It's not about my name. I'll see them in heaven on the new earth and we'll celebrate there forever. We have a temptation to hoard and build our little kingdoms. And God is saying, no, scatter missions. We do this in the church too. People transfer from this church to another church. I feel this as a pastor. Someone wants to transfer to another church and I feel personally offended. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like our church? Why, how dare you not love the name of our church? And what does God say? Scatter. Yes, let them grow here. If they're going to be here, remember here for five years or five months or 50 years, praise God. And then when I send them elsewhere, guess what? Bless them. Support them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Because it's not about this local church's name. It's about the glory of God. And we're one of many churches in our convention and of many other denominations that are living for the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so scatter. I want my kids to live near the church building where they live. I'd rather have them live there than near me. Because it's not about our family. It's about God's name. So go. If, if you're going to be called to another church, go and go all in wherever you are. Thankful for all the members who are here and all of you who are all in here. 
Because it's not about hoarding. It's about scattering. It's about missions. The great reunion will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Not here. Not now. So we need to... We need missions. We need worship. And lastly, we need to disciple. We need to disciple other... This is local now. Well, what if we're here? Am I saying everyone needs to leave Bellflower? No, I'm not saying that. God sent you here as scattering for some of you. So you've, you've scattered to Bellflower. You've scattered to Southeast LA County. So what should we do here in this church? We need to disciple our neighbors. Just think about your street, how, how ethnically diverse your street is. Isn't it diverse? Isn't your neighborhood diverse? Let's disciple them. Let's eat their meals on their bill. I'm just kidding. Well, you could. Um, let, let's, let's eat their mi- meals and know their culture. Let's invite them into our home so that they know our culture. And let's give them the greatest culture of all, Jesus Christ, and being part of his culture, his people, his nation, forever and ever and ever. Everyone is made in God's image, and so that's how we want to live. Well, I think I'm just going to close in prayer now. I did have here, I was going to close by reading the Southern Baptist Convention Resolution on racism in 1995. I'll just, I'll email it to all the church members. I want you to read it though. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King weekend. Anyone going to work tomorrow? Ah, what? Sorry, guys. You are on mission. You are on mission at your workplace. Yes, you are. For those of you who aren't working tomorrow, like me, um, read this resolution tonight or tomorrow. And I want you to see how we as a convention have said we have sinned. We have failed in this. And yet we are asking for forgiveness and we want to grow. And we want to kill racism because we want to make disciples. We're about missions. World missions. And racism is the very opposite of world missions. Which is why we preach on it at least once a year. Okay, so let's worship God. Let's scatter. And let's disciple people where we are. And let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these thoughts on... Racism, sin, missions, the great commission of making disciples and worshiping you. We pray, Father, that you would... Well, first of all, we want to say thank you. Thank you, Father, for saving us from our sins. Thank you for making us one people in Christ. And thank you for the active work you've been doing in this church. Even as we look around, you have been working to build harmony and love and sharing of life, not just on the shallow, how are you doing level, but on the burden-bearing, sin-confessing, vulnerability level in our church. And you're deepening friendships in this church. We thank you for that, and we pray for more, Father. May your Spirit have His way in our group, that we here might live for your glory in loving one another and making Christ known. Help us to grow in worship. Help us to grow in missions. Help us to grow in local discipleship for your glory and for our joy. And forgive us for the racial favoritism in our hearts. Help us to see it. Help us to confess it. Help us to make war on it. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.